Well, Easter is quickly coming. It is almost here. It's just a few days away now. We, get, we come here today, we gather tonight in anticipation of that rapidly approaching Sunday, filled with excitement and, if you're the one cooking, maybe a little bit of dread for the crowds that are going to come to our houses, the food that we'll cook, serve, and eat, the eggs that must be hidden and found, and the joyful laughter of children on the hunt. And it's a day worthy of celebration. It surely, surely is. It's the day when Jesus Christ, our most high Lord, the King of kings who conquers death and delivers us from its grasp, overcame the grave and showed the world what kind of hope it can and should have. But Easter's not quite here yet. When we look at our scripture this evening, we don't find victory or triumph, deliverance or hope. We know the ending. We've seen Easter morning that's so quickly coming. But we can't have Easter without Good Friday. There's no resurrection without death coming first. I know this isn't a fun or uplifting scripture tonight. Nobody wants to linger on the gory distressing details of the crucifixion, which is why nobody really enjoys the movie The Passion of the Christ, but for as unpleasant as it is, we know that there is real power in the death of Jesus. There's power that makes Easter possible, of course, that proves that even the worst of torture and pain and death can't overcome the power of Christ. But there's something else here, too. I first noticed it when I was taking a preaching class in seminary back in the spring of 2016. The professor assigned us texts uh, for what we would preach on, and I got Mark's account of the Passion, my first preaching class in seminary, and I am lucky enough to get a Good Friday sermon, really? But that's how it happened. So I wrote this sermon about the kingship of Jesus, asking, what kind of king would allow himself to be beaten, humiliated, and tortured, and killed? And I have to say, I think it ended up being pretty good. But as I was finishing up that assignment, a sentence from the end of the passage caught my eye. Mark says, And when the centurion, a soldier, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. The more I thought about it, the stranger this seemed. The centurion hadn't been there for the miracles. He hadn't heard Jesus teach or seen him heal lepers or raise the dead. All the centurion knew was what he'd seen from Jesus as he died. Easter hadn't come yet, but Good Friday, Good Friday was enough to convince this soldier of who Jesus was and to draw out from him a recognition profession of that. You know, I'm sure that all of this was a joke to him at first, this beaten man called the King of the Jews, who hung as a grotesque caricature of royalty. Scripture says they crowned him with thorns and put a purple robe around him. And there was even a sign above his bleeding head to proclaim, as, uh, proclaim who he was. There's no doubt in my mind that the centurion had joined in on the joke while Jesus hung there, mocking him 
as he suffered. The spectators gambled away Jesus' clothes and gave him vinegar to drink, asking him why he didn't save himself if he truly was the Son of God. What could convince this centurion then, after seeing all of that, this soldier of Caesar, to so quickly and boldly change from scorn to faith? Things began to change when the sky grew dark. Maybe it was an omen, or maybe it was just a coincidence of nature. But after three hours of darkness, the crucified man spoke, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those who were standing nearby didn't even really hear what he had to say. They misunderstood him. When he cried out, Eloi, or my God, they thought he was calling out, Eliyahu, or Elijah. So they gave him water and then stepped back just to see what happened next. Years of ministry, of miracles, of teaching. And here Jesus was, little more than afternoon entertainment for these people. But with one more loud cry, Jesus died. <coughs> then creation reacted. When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. This was a massive, <coughs> heavy piece of cloth separating the main space in the temple from the holiest of holies, which is where the presence of God was said to be able to be encountered. It was dangerous for mankind to experience God in that way at that time. He was so holy that fallen men, unrighteous Fallen men couldn't stand in his presence, and so only the high priests were allowed to enter, and even then, only after extensive purification. Now, it's written that this temple veil was so strong that horses tied to either side could not tear it, and it was so massive that it took a hundred priests to move it around. But with Jesus' death, that curtain tore from floor to ceiling as the separation between man and God collapsed. And what had previously been available to so few was now available to everyone equally. When we stand in the presence of God now, we do so not as the unrighteous or unpurified men did before, but covered in the righteousness of Christ and saved to the uttermost through his sacrifice. When Jesus died, the ground shook and split open. Just as his death changed the spiritual realities of the world, allowing us to be restored in our relationship with God, so too did it shake the foundations of the physical world. It was a sign of the things yet to come and an indication that something big was happening, that the rules of the world were changing. Easter morning had not yet Nobody knew that Jesus was coming back. And therefore, they didn't know that the law of death, that most basic fact of the physical world, was coming to an end. Like the law of gravity that says all things are drawn together by an invisible force, or like the laws of motion that say that things will continue to rest or move as they are unless acted upon from outside, the law of death says that all things will die will break down and will decay, and that's the end. All things fall apart. That's the law of entropy that says 
that things move towards chaos, these are unbreakable laws, or at least they were, the facts by which the world operated. And though creation wouldn't know it until Sunday morning, Jesus was about to put an end to one of those laws. It's no wonder that creation shuddered in that moment. And when Jesus died, the dead rose from their graves and began preparing themselves for Easter morning, when they would make their new life known in the holy city. With his death, even before Jesus' resurrection, he proved that his sacrifice could restore the dead to new life. It says they waited until Jesus himself was resurrected to go back to town, but they did go when the time was right. Seeing these signs, the centurion's heart was softened, and he professed, surely this man was the Son of God. Friends, we look around and see the results, the aftermath of Jesus' death. We're surrounded by people who were spiritually dead and now live. People who can attest to the miraculous saving power of Jesus Christ. Things have never been the same since Jesus died. It changed the course of human history. It changed the world. And as the spiritually dead can know new life, we know as Christians that death no longer has the final say, but we too can be restored to life and fullness. You and I can know God now, in the days since Good Friday, in a way that had never been possible before. And we can receive the gift of new life. All we have to do is look upon the cross with the same awe and awareness that the centurion did and see the impact that it's had. See the bloody thorns, the torn and stained robe. Read the inscription above Jesus' head as he died, King of the Jews, and know that that wasn't quite right, because he's even more than that. Jesus is Lord of all. His kingdom has outlived Rome and stretched far beyond Israel. It's here in the church, and it's all around the world. Praise God that in his death, Jesus showed us exactly what kind of king he is. Amen. Amen.